0: Hello, welcome back to and Coherence. Today, we are here with Garrett Lisi. I'm really excited for today's episode. I've been a huge fan of yours since uh, at least 2007, when you first published uh, your um, exceeding or the, what is it, exceedingly simple, uh, exceptionally, exceptionally simple, exceptionally uh, simple theory of everything. Um, You are a theoretical physicist, you are a surfer,
1: you are a beekeeper, a general uh, outdoorsman. What what aren't you? (laughs) I'm a a terrible farmer. I never intended to be a farmer. But it turns out, uh, just for quality of life reasons, if you're living on Maui long enough, you end up becoming a farmer. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. it's just from life enjoyment maximization Mm -hmm. and getting the best produce and best food. You always end up farming if you have a plot of land. It's really funny because everything grows there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, but anyway, yeah. Thanks for having me on the show. Sure. Yeah. yeah, we're yeah. really
0: happy to have you here. So perhaps uh, for for the people in our audience who aren't quite as familiar with the the work that you've been doing in theoretical physics, um, you're creating a theory of everything, uh, or or some of the work that you're doing can be used to to underlie this theory of every, everything or guide guide that physical research, right? Well, Maybe I didn't, tell people about. I didn't that.
1: start out looking for a theory of everything because mm. that would be kind of nuts, <laughs> and I'm, I'm I'm not that nuts. Okay, um, I, I started out. Uh, trying to figure out the answer to a question that was really bothering me when I was a graduate student in physics. And that question was, we have this wonderful description of gravity as curving spacetime. Mm-hmm. So matter curves spacetime, and, and the curvature of spacetime controls how massive bodies move through it, um, how all bodies move through it. And... That's a very geometric picture. We can describe it with differential geometry and with you know, smooth manifolds and flows on, on surfaces and things that are very geometric. But when you go into particle physics and you want to describe, okay, well, how does an electron interact and, and how does that move and, and how does that interact gravitationally? It's freaking ugly, mm-hmm. right? You have, you have matrices that transform a certain way under rotations. It's not geometric in the same way the description of gravity is geometric. And that really bothered me. I figured if the universe is just one thing Mm -hmm. and this geometric description of gravity is correct, as it it must be, then there must also be a geometric description of electrons and other matter particles. There just has to be one. And the one we have just doesn't seem intuitively geometric in the same way Mm -hmm. the description of gravity is. So I, I got my PhD, and I really wanted to answer this question, and nobody else even thought it was a problem.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, there was an, uh, this other group in string theory going out in another direction. They were t- sort of trying to do that, trying to describe particles geometrically, but they were trying to describe them in vibrating strings. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was sort of an artificial contrivance that, that they would taken a, a wrong turn that way. Mm-hmm. And I wanted a more direct geometric description of elementary particles. So, I moved to maui i had, I had uh, gotten lucky with some of my investments mm-hmm. and I was able just to support myself on my investment income moved to Maui, became a surf bum, <laughs> and worked on physics on my own and After banging my head against the problem for almost a decade, I managed to find finally an answer to that question is you know what is this geometric description of elementary particles and it turns out that there are these uh, very beautiful intricately uh, uh, intertwined and in complex mathematical structures called Lie groups. And the structure of some of these Lie groups, which are exceptional cases among Lie groups, turn out to correspond to exactly the properties of electrons and other elementary matter particles also intertwined with gravity and all the other forces. And it was just a fantastic thing yeah. to find. light moment. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so when I, when I found that, since, since they're exceptional in structures in mathematics, that's where I, where I came mm. up with the, the fun yeah. name of exceptionally simple theory of everything, because they're exceptionally simple Lie groups. What does that mean exactly, yeah. to be an
0: exceptional Lie group?
1: Well, there are, um, there are different Lie groups that correspond to symmetries of different things. So you mm-hmm. can have a symmetry of space, and that gives you a Lie group corresponding to rotations. So, for example, in three dimensions of space, you can rotate around three different axes. So in three different planes, mm-hmm. and so that's a three-dimensional Lie group, right? And if you if you consider that we're in four-dimensional space-time, right? Then mm-hmm. this is this has six dimensions because as well as the three dimensions of space, you can also move in three directions. Okay. Right. So and that as a combined Lie group, that's a six-dimensional Lie group. Okay. And there so there there are different stacks for for different dimensions of Lie groups. So there 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 are mm-hmm. Lie groups for rotations in space. Mm-hmm. And then there's another set of Lie groups for rotation in complex space mm-hmm. that can go up to arbitrarily high dimensions. And then there so there, there are these different infinite collections.
0: Yeah, and when you say complex space is that with, yeah. with complex numbers? With, yes, that's okay. right.
1: And then other than these towers mm-hmm. of uh of Lee groups, there are five out of nowhere exceptional cases hmm. that don't seem to be the symmetry of anything but themselves really. But mathematically, if you work out the classification of all different possible Lie groups, they stand out as five different weird special things. <laughs> and so that's why they're called exceptional Lie groups, is because okay. they, they stand out as different. They're not part of any other series. Hmm. And so there are these uh, five exceptional Lie groups: um, G2, F4, E6, E7, and E8. With E8 being the the largest and most complicated. Hmm. And uh, so that's a 248 dimensional Lie group, and it's you know it's it's fundamentally it's not different than the three dimensional group of rotations of space. So yeah. it's it's the same that way, and its structure is the same, the way you can rotate something in one axis, then rotate it along another axis. And that's the same as a rotation along the third axis. All right? So these rotations interact. like So two interactions will give a third. Mm-hmm. And this is the way it works in all Lie groups. So the same thing in E8, if you have a different elementary particle corresponding to each different direction right, of this 248-dimensional Lie group, then, when you have rotations along those directions in this Lie group, that's two particles interacting to give a third.
0: Mm. Okay,
1: and the and you can in order to keep track. I mean, the two hundred forty eight dimensional Lie group is a very complicated. Yeah, thing to describe. it's hard to just hold in the head, <laughs> All right? Um, but mathematicians are freaking smart, and they figured yeah. out a, a way to describe this with diagrams. Uh-huh. And the way they do it is they they just count up the number of twists that the different dimensions have around each other. Okay, All right. So you literally count one, two, three twists as you go around Mm -hmm. one direction. So so they pick out um, eight perpendicular circles inside this 248-dimensional shape, Mm -hmm. and they count the number of twists of the other 240 circles around that eight. Okay. And you get a different number, one, two, three, four, five, six, around each of the different eight circles for each of the other 240 circles. Hmm. And it just so happens that there's a match between the electric charges, weak charges, strong charges, and spin charges of the known elementary particles, and the twist that these hmm. circles make so inside this. Inside yeah, this the symmetry
0: object. between the, the geometric object and the observational reality seems to fall There's kind of a direct out correspondence
1: yeah. between our known elementary particles that we see in our physical universe mm-hmm. and this beautiful geometric object. It's, it's mind blowing. Yeah, it's absolutely, absolutely mind blowing.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, what do you think the implications of that are? That there's this deep symmetry that falls out of of s- such a complex structure in this ma- yeah. this mathematical object, uh, yeah. and yet, yet it corresponds to you know high energy physics. Well, what yeah. does that mean to you?
1: Well, you, I mean, you said something at the beginning where you said uh, that I had created this, uh, sure. this mathematical sure. description, and I strongly believe that I didn't create it; I discovered it. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, I don't think, I don't think math is created so much as discovered. So more of the, the platonic interpretation. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I, I think, I think mathematics has sort of its own ideal existence mm-hmm. and that if there's some alien civilization in some distant galaxy that's, you know, sufficiently advanced to develop mathematics, they're going to find Lie groups.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, any advanced mathematician is going to hit this set of mathematical structures. And they're going to have the same classification, and they're going to find the same five exceptional cases, with E eight being the largest one. They won't call it E eight. They might call it, but you know, they, it's going to be the same structure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they, uh, so I, I think this mathematics is discovered, and uh, it's just amazing to me uh, that there's a correspondence between what's you know possibly the most beautiful mathematical structure and the physical properties of our universe Mm -hmm. so that's that's just fantastic and so there's there's nothing more philosophically satisfying to me than to explore this relationship and see if i can uh flesh it out and find its problems because it does have problems it's not an absolutely perfect match at least as far as i can tell Mm -hmm.
0: and so those problems are uh are those
1: related to the
0: unification of the standard theory at the moment? Yeah, or so the, even the
1: matching the current standard model. Mm-hmm. So, um, so if you lay out all the particles, you, you have you know, electrons, up and down quarks, and neutrinos. And, and this makes up pretty much all the matter we see. Mm-hmm. All the matter we interact with are made of up and down quarks and electrons and photons and, and the, the binding weak force and strong force. And if you map out all the charges of all these different particles along each of these different axes, mm-hmm. so, and they all correspond to their twists in this geometric object, Mm-hmm. Um, then there's a direct match between our particles and this object. However, in particle accelerators, you can go and you can collide particles at higher energies and you can create particles that we don't see in normal matter, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? With enough energy, in, in, you know, coming together in one, one place, you can briefly pop into existence these other more massive particles. Mm-hmm. And what we see is that the electron has uh, has partners, with higher masses, but the exact same charges. Hmm. So the electron has a, has, a, has a heavier partner called a muon, and a heavier partner still called a tau. Hmm. And you might say, well, that's weird. What about the other particles? And only, Every, those,
0: those partners only fall out when you add energy that then allows them to have that higher... Density, That's right. So that normally mass. you wouldn't
1: see it because you, yeah. you kick an electron up to this higher energy. Yeah. Because yeah. it's, 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 it's only, only stabilized an
0: electron at, with the energy that it has, um, like in our...
1: Right. The, ener- the, the electron's the lightest version. Yeah. So if you have one of these uh, heavier particles, it will decay and jump down to a muon and then down to an electron. Mm-hmm. And it'll emit neutrinos as it goes. Hmm. Okay. But it'll, it'll, it'll jump back down to an electron um, almost immediately, matter of seconds or less. So these, uh, depending on how fast it's going, I um, mean, in which frame. So the, uh, and, and it turns out, well, that's, that's a weird thing. What about the other particles? Every known matter particle has two higher mass partners. So this is called the, the, the three generations of elementary particles. And nobody really knows why they're these three copies of every particle. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is only the case for the matter particles, not for the force particles. And E8, has this, this mathematical structure, has this triality symmetry in it that will let you relate a bunch of particles. But I've been, I've been uh, trying for years and determined I don't think it can work to describe the generations correctly, yeah. at least not in the, uh, a way that I've been able to find that makes sense. What do you mean by generations in that regard? So the, the different generations are you need, you need three different copies with the same charges. Mm-hmm. So you need to be able, from this eight dimensions, and, and the, the charges have, I mean, there's, there's electric charge, there's weak charge. There are two strong charges called color. And there's gravitational co- charge, which is uh, a spin. And you, you can argue for six, uh, so six types of charge total. And you have, in this E8, di- E8 Lee group, you have eight different kinds of charge. So you can project down to the six. Hmm. And you need, for the matter particles, you need the there's enough particles in E8 to project down to the particles, to the known particles. But there doesn't seem to way, be a way to successfully project down uh, to get exactly three copies with all, uh, all of those copies having the same six sets of charges for each one, which okay. is what you need to match reality. So there might be some way to do it I haven't thought of yet.
2: Hmm.
1: But uh, I've been trying a while and it hasn't worked yet. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> and so I think, I guess there's two
0: things there. So I guess first, the more abstract uh, of the two, the picture that it seems like you're painting for me or that's kind of popping into my head is a high dimensional, high energy Reality beyond ours that settles into a more stable, lower energy, lower dimensional reality for some reason, and and right. I think what you've talked about in the past is that's a function of like a symmetry breakage that happens. Sym- so there's yeah. some.
1: So mm. so if this picture is correct, there there's some uh, wonderfully intricate and perfectly symmetric uh, high dimensional geometric object, mm-hmm. and somehow its symmetry is is uh, shifted. Mm such that some directions in that object are special, and those would be the, the Higgs background directions.
0: Yeah. and that It's kind of like in your TED talk when you took the uh, arrow and put it on its, on its end and yeah. like let it fall, that's and right. then that's it kind picks of an arbitrary direction. direction
1: of time, and right. then, then everything kind of follows that direction. That's right. So suddenly you had this, this perfect symmetry where everything's the same in all directions, mm-hmm. and, but then an arrow fell, and that picks out a direction. Mm-hmm. Now that direction's special, and everything that interacts with that particle um, takes on a mass as a result of that direction becoming mm-hmm. special. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that's how all, all particles are thought to get their mass. Hmm. Mm. Otherwise, everything would be massless and move just the light.
0: It, it's kind of reminding me of like the Heideggerian concept of like thrownness. Yeah, you're sense. always
3: thrown into the moment, and the movement of <laughs> yeah. particles is
0: yeah. There's there's this
3: way through this geometric pattern. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah, like we, there's we,
0: like a given that that everything you know we don't necessarily. We only have, in our own in our own domain of, of action as humans, we only have this limited control over um, you know where we were placed you know our, our starting position, um, our own trajectory so to speak, the inertia behind us. And it seems like what you're saying is there's kind of like a, a that type of same type of thrownness to the universe yeah. where it's like yeah. if there happened to be a symmetry breakage in any arbitrary direction from this E eight like Lie group. Um, Everything just flowed from that in that direction, and, and if you were in that system, you wouldn't necessarily know. To you, it wouldn't look like it was an arbitrary choice; it would just look like time. Right. That's how we experience it. Yeah.
1: There's a similar uh, uh, Japanese idea of the, like the imperfection in a piece of artwork that makes yeah. it special. Yeah. Mm. Like because yeah. if you Maybe? have something that's perfect, it's not perfect. It needs the imperfection to be perfect. Yeah. Huh. So the, the the Higgs field is a, a imperfection that appears in this in a perfect mathematical structure that huh. then everything else interacts with. and. and Can you elaborate
3: mass. on that? So the Higgs field mm-hmm. being the field in which mass actually becomes, right? That all these particles move through. We, we'll let you actually explain that. <laughs> yeah. <just> in terms <laughs> sure. of,
1: discovered cool. in 2012, right? Yeah, well, the, the particle corresponding to, uh, to the, this yeah. Higgs field and Higgs mechanism right. was discovered in 2012. At the and, LHC. And it, it was such a successful theory that uh, it was a good bet. That it was going to be found, but we didn't know exactly what mass it would be found at. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that was really good to find out. Um, but it's a, a part of many theories, including the C eight theory, to have this this Higgs field in it, mm-hmm. because it's a it provides a mechanism for the symmetry breaking to happen. So the the idea is that you have you have it the same in in all directions, but because of the way uh, the potential is set up, because of the way the laws of motion are for the the geometry, yeah. Um, it arbitrarily falls down to a lower energy state, uh, but along some direction, and yeah. that direction is random. Yeah, it's arbitrary, but it picks one out.
3: Well, is it random? Like, is there is there can you like how do you what
1: do you mean by that? Um, it means it. But there's, is there a there's directionality nothing special to nature to it, the evolution of the there, cosmos. There appears to be a directionality of time, but not of anything else. So the, the universe is uh, isotropic, so it's the same in all three directions as far as we can tell. Mm-hmm. And uh, similarly, there's a similar isotropy within the rest of the Lee group, right? So these other directions aren't special either, mm-hmm. okay? Um, but uh, if you start with a, a certain set of uh, equations of motion to describe how the, what the system does, you can set it up so that, say, if you, um, what's a good way to describe this? Now, the way it's usually described is with a sombrero. So if you have a mm-hmm. sombrero oh. and you let a marble go from the top, okay, it's not gonna stay at the top, it's gonna fall down into the basin of the hat. Yeah but you don't know where in the basin mm-hmm. it's going to matter. Or it's, it's like uh, in the mall the where same. you have
0: those little coin things where you can basically uh, put, roll the coin and it'll like
1: roll all the yeah, way down. Right. Well, that way that rolls into the center, which is yeah, yeah. one, which is uh, yeah. then a specific spot that's yeah. picked out But isn't there that, But then it drops right? into something underneath and you wouldn't know <laughs>
0: where, where in the heck it would <laughs> right. land. But the, way,
1: but the way the Higgs, Higgs works is, is the, the marble rolls down into the basin of the hat yeah. and then it's at one spot. Okay. And all the other spots are the same, except now you, you actually have the marble here. hmm Hmm. So that's a, a one specific location being mm-hmm. picked out as special. And this is yeah. the same way the Higgs background works, is, is one direction gets picked out as special. Mm-hmm. And then once, once that happens, that you no longer have a symmetry for your whole system. The symmetry has been broken. Yeah, It's no longer... Uh, yeah. You've moved from like, potential, like yeah. infinite potential to a specific actuality, um, in a sense. Yeah, picked out a specific actuality, and now yeah. that's the one we're in. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. I
3: like that last yeah. point. Yeah. Are you familiar with Lee Smolin's work? Quantum gravity, uh, what is it? A bunch of it, yeah. Yeah, he's great. Um, Yeah, Lee's a great guy. So one of the things that I'm going to try to paraphrase, and you can correct me or add, so one of my interpretations of his sort of cosmological view is that the universe is a black hole propagating machine of sorts.
1: Oh, yeah. And that that was a great idea of his. So That that was the idea of cosmological natural selection. Yeah. Which is our universe has evolved Mm -hmm. uh, such that, you know, the same way that, uh, Darwin's theory of evolution is that uh, creatures that propagate the most are the ones that survive and persist and propagate more, mm-hmm. right? So so nature selects for the ability to reproduce. So his idea was that uh, our universe has been selected in the same way by being created in, in a black hole, and that our universe has evolved to create many black holes. Yeah. And that each one of those spawns another universe, and so, so the fractal this, evolution of universes yeah, through so that black that we have holes. This, this series yeah. of natural selection, where the universes get selected that are better at creating black holes. Yeah, hmm. yeah. <laughs> what do you think of that? I kind of, I kind of, I think it has an interesting flow um, to it. It does, it does, and I, I, I really, uh, I'm a, you know, I, I really like the theory of evolution. So, mm-hmm, so yeah. I'm kind of tickled by this idea of yeah. cosmic evolution. Yeah. Um, there are a couple things about it which is kind of weird, which is um, it. It is oddly coincidental that some of the parameters of our universe uh, appear consistent with us being inside a black hole. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a, a little bit disturbing, <laughs> um, uh, but it's not, it, it doesn't seem to entirely make sense. Um, also, when you talk about other universes branching out, um, there's not a good way to test it. So whether yeah. that idea is right yeah. or wrong, it's, we're only in this yeah. universe. Because so there's the event stay. horizon there, right? Um, it's not the event horizon. It's they're oh. not causally connected at all. Okay.
0: So it's just completely detached. You couldn't... Yeah. Okay. So if,
1: these, if, so if a universe is a black hole that's branched out from another bunch of universes, they will never again be in contact. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's no influence of one on the other. Mm. Yeah. And in, in, in science, if something doesn't have an effect on anything in your environment, it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. But I bet there is an influence. Well, I mean, people <laughs> have gone actually and looked for it in the cosmic microwave background. Yeah, yeah. They, they've looked for like wow. you know domain walls and things bouncing off one right. another and wow. any sort of influence like that, and it hasn't been seen. Because I guess we we do know.
0: I guess the reason I was in, in my head was this notion of the event horizon, and then also like haw- Hawking radiation comes back out of them.
1: That's on the exterior of a black hole. On the hole. exterior of the black yeah.
0: hole. So there's like it seems like that's some sort of interaction happening with whatever is on the other side. So there's like a limitation at the event horizon you don't really
1: well, the see thing about,
0: into it, but then there's something coming out of it. Like what right.
1: well, what that's, do you that's make of big that? big question in physics right now, is yeah. does Hawking, infom- Hawking radiation carry information out of a black hole? Mm-hmm. And we don't know the answer to that one okay. currently, because in order to answer that, you really ha- need to have a good theory of quantum gravity, and we don't. Yeah. Do you have any open bets on that? Uh, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, my guess is that the evolution is consistent with quantum field theory. And and my my you know I'm just speculating along with a bunch of other people. Um, I think that uh, when matter falls into a black hole, it's uh, gravitationally excited in such a way that it emits the Hawking radiation, other gravitational radiation, hmm. and a lot of that information is coming out in gravitational radiation. Hmm. So that when a black hole finally evaporates and goes poof, it doesn't delete all the information from the universe mm-hmm. that uh, has that was lost when things fell into it. Mm-hmm. But rather, that information that was in the stuff that fell into it, uh, that information left and was carried out by the radiation hmm. when it fell in. You oh. say gravitational radiation? If, but what if that goes into a new universe, that information? Well, that's the thing is, is you know, you, you can cook up models where new universes are created in black holes. But as far as we know, from known general relativity and known properties of matter, that doesn't happen. So to, to to have a whole lot of fun, like creating wormholes and, yeah, and, right. and warp mm-hmm. drives and all this stuff, you need matter with a negative energy density. Mm-hmm. And as far as we know, that does not exist.
3: Well, what, what about dark matter, dark energy? Has- uh,
1: nope. Dark energy still attracts or, or dark matter still attracts. Dark energy does create an, an expansion, but it, dark energy doesn't appear to be made out of matter dark energy is probably just a constant throughout the universe called the cosmological constant mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that uh, that drives the, the expansion the rate of the expansion of space. Of the, yeah. isn't it something like 93% of the known universe we
3: don't know what it is yeah
1: yeah it's a it's a big mystery but the thing is 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 our our picture of particle physics and existing matter it's a it, it's a close it appears to be a close to complete picture because if you have three copies of everything it's not like you have three copies of everything except this that you have one of hmm. It's like you have three copies of, of all the matter and it so that gets a feel yeah. of completeness to it
0: It's an interesting contradiction or, or at least juxtaposition to simultaneously not know anything about so much of the energy and mass in the universe yeah. yet have this idea that it, it's a mostly complete model. I think yeah. that's maybe like people have a little bit of a that's where a lot of confusion comes from in terms yeah. of you know. We don't know anything because we don't know what this 95% of the universe is. Yeah. And, and you're not taking that position at all. Like you're, you're on the other side where you're saying oh, yeah. we actually do know most yeah. of what there is to know about think, this structure. I
1: think information-wise, I think we know, you know 90%. But I think what we don't know is a couple of more matter particles. Like maybe they're sterile neutrinos that uh, have mm. a lot of mass. Mm. So even though there are a couple of them, they ca- they, they're so numerous. That they make up that eighty percent of matter in the yeah. universe. So CERN
3: yeah. is about to be re- revamping itself. When, do you know what? Like, how, what are you? Are you following I that? I don't scene
1: know. Or? I don't know their timeline. Okay. But yeah, they're they're uh, they are boosting up to a higher energy. Mm-hmm. And is that yeah. what they're hoping to find? What are, What are they
0: hoping to find in this well, next run? Well, at this run? point,
1: um, they're kind of desperate to find anything at this point <laughs> if they want their funding to continue, right? But, yeah. Because this is the the challenge. I mean, the the Large Hadron Collider was built really as an exploration machine. So it's really built to explore the higher energy frontier and just find what particles we might mm-hmm. we might have. And um, they they ramped it up, and they found the Higgs boson in yeah. 2012, and that was great, but that was pretty much expected. Mm-hmm. So the Higgs boson was expected since the 60s, mm-hmm. yeah. right? And since the 60s, uh, string theorists have uh, all, all string models are, are super string models, okay? And in order to have a consistent... And natural description of the Higgs boson and its mass. Uh, these string and, and, and supersymmetric models require the existence of superparticles. Mm-hmm. And that's, that, that's in the, what, 11-dimensional space? Well, it, it's, you can have it in various dimensions. Okay. But uh, if, if those superparticles are going to contribute yeah. in, a, in a way naturally to the mass of the Higgs, they need to have been seen, and they haven't been seen. Yeah. So the, they, they, they were hoping at the LHC to see superparticles, and superparticles are like, so, so every matter particle would have a super partner. Mm-hmm. So ele- there would be an electron, there would be a more massive cell electron, hmm. right? And every quark would have a squark, <laughs> right? And it, It's and, fun grammatically. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so, so there would be this whole other copy, this whole other yeah. zoo of the part- partners of the known particles. Uh-huh. And we haven't seen a one. Yeah. They that thought was the be bet seen. that you won in, in yeah. 2015. So, so, so string theorists and, and many other high-energy particle physics really thought these superparticles would be seen. hmm and, uh, and that structure doesn't come out as naturally in the mathematics I was working with. And I'm, I'm kind of a weirdo. I was out working on, with a different, uh, on different theoretical models. And supersymmetry just wasn't natural in them. Um, I, I found a symmetry uh, emerging describing the, the matter particles in a different way. Yeah. And so supersymmetry wasn't as natural. So I made a bet against it. Mm-hmm. And superparticles weren't seen. So I won that bet.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So what's that like in, in terms of your divergence from that
0: community of, of string theorists and forging this alternative path, you know, having early success and popularity, but then there's been somewhat of like a backlash of people trying to attack, you know, that early, I guess what you said, I read a core post of yours where you're like, people basically hyped it too much early. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, you need this time to actually kind of build the complete model around it. And, you know, but yet yeah, you're doing that. By yourself out in Maui, and, and there's maybe yeah. some community that's being yeah. built around that. I guess Cle Irwin's leading the quantum gravity research team, and they're like they're on a parallel course, but not the same course. Like, what's this all been like for you
1: to kind of uh, make your own path in the physics world? <laughs> it's been yeah. a weird ride. So the 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 weirdest thing about this is that the physics models I'm working with are actually unusually conservative. Mm. They're a continuation of the unified models that were put together in the 70s and 80s for particle physics before string theory came along and sort of took over the area. So when I came in and I showed, hey, with a with an extension of these unified models that includes gravity, uh, you get a model that then embeds in in these exceptional Lie groups describing everything. Mm-hmm. And this embedding was straightforward and mathematical, and I couldn't get this other other two generations, but they're space form. Um, and then uh, I got a lot of attention for this. And the the, the strength theorist went crazy because here's this guy who's coming out of nowhere saying all our work is useless. <laughs> it was a wrong turn. Yeah. You know, and our livelihoods and fundings all depends on this. Uh-huh. Um, uh huh. But look, he doesn't have everything right. So let's just point out the things that he doesn't have right, yeah. you know, which doesn't match and say it's totally wrong. Yeah. The thing is, it wasn't totally wrong. There's There's a really yeah a startling match mm-hmm. uh, but not everything works right but you know w- in some direction that might be made to work or might, the universe might be you know choosing to do something really funny that i just haven't figured out yet but yeah the, but the match is good but anyway um because i got so much attention when i first came out to the theory i also got shot down just as hard but i got shot down for the reasons that i put in the original paper describing what was wrong yeah, the what, what yeah. things that didn't work quite right um so it was really funny but if you're a if you're a working scientist and a new theory comes along, the, the thing you really want is you want to not have to learn that new theory. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And people are lazy. And people want to keep doing what they're already working on. Sure. All right, so it's, it's hard a, to admit as well if you've made a wrong turn. Yeah. It's like that directionality we find <laughs> yeah. in, the, yeah. in the field itself. So, so, so uh, a mathematician physicist came out and, and published a paper saying this theory can't possibly work. And it was, uh, and they used the reasons that I had put forth in my own paper. But in the paper I, I published, it was not that it can't work. It's like these are the problems with it, and these are a couple possible ways to, to address that and mm-hmm. and, and get it to work. But they just use their, their own methods and claim that it can't possibly work. And people just point to that and say, no, it can't work. They proved it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So it's just kind of as a conf- – like a motivated yeah. reasoning is what you're saying, yeah, right? Like you know, people don't want to learn this new theory. People want to continue with their grants. They don't want to reevaluate the And it's the easier to
1: say it's wrong than to try to say like, oh, could this be right? Yeah, exactly. So from, from my position, I'm like, wow, this whole playground's mine. <laughs> yeah you go do surfing in the morning <laughs> and then have the whole playground of physics yeah. to yourself that's like, oh afternoon. my time pressure's off but you know there have there have been a, a few people working along very similar directions that i uh-huh. that i've been in contact with um uh Irwin's kind of an unusual case because he doesn't have a background a strong background in physics he's sort of uh-huh. uh brought him up himself up by the bootstraps in the past you know five years or so we're all about auto, di-
3: auto di- yeah. here so yeah
1: but in in physics i mean i, I mean i you know, I, was in, I had 13 years of college, you know, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. I, I, yeah, I put yeah. in my time to learn, right. you know, all the solid foundation of physics Definitely. that you really need to to understand how all the interaction uh, of pieces of physics work together as a picture. Mm-hmm. And if you if you come in, even throwing yourself into it for five years into a specialized direction, yeah. um, you're still not going to see the thing that means your theory isn't matching reality yeah, yeah. Well, it's like right. it's,
0: it's like simultaneously the most complex and abstract space there is yeah it right. really is
1: they so featured it's... you on one of their they've
3: done like a video series the yeah. quantum gravity research yeah
0: hacking reality i think was the episode. Yeah, that yeah
3: that one was fun it, it was were... it was a fun episode but all of yeah. them are quite interesting yeah this was, um,
1: they're, they're quite well made
3: yeah uh one of the things that was super interesting i think it was the first one about the nature of time being this feedback loop of past and future the speak? retro
1: causality, yeah, right?
3: Yeah, the retro causality. How does that... Does that map at all to the E8?
1: Um, it depends on how you do the mapping. Mm-hmm. So, uh, personally, I mean, I'm going to upset so many people if I say this. So, uh, so I, I, I do have friends in, who are working on how to sensibly describe quantum mechanics. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways you can sensibly describe quantum mechanics is if you allow the future to come back and affect the past.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Kind of like
0: a backwards resonance of sorts. Yeah,
1: yeah. So you have, you, have the, you would then have waves traveling backwards in time as mm-hmm. well as forwards in time. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that would that would clear up a lot of uh, problems in quantum mechanics, where there there seems to be this you know this this strange collapse of the quantum wave function into one state. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, and and this happens uh, you know even even across vast distances. So it's like, how do you get that to happen? Well, if you if you go back, if there's another wave that goes back and adjusts things so that that collapse happens right there, then you can make sense of that mathematically mm-hmm. um however uh, our best understanding of uh, quantum field theory and general relativity do not allow for that sort of backwards uh, propagation and effect mm-hmm. so they, they they it can't be consistent with that with that theory and i, I personally don't think there's retro causality mm-hmm. although it's an interesting model are but, there falsifiable uh, predictions associated with that um Unfortunately, you can't distinguish. It, it, it's sort of another radical interpretation of quantum mechanics. Yeah. Okay. And what we know mm-hmm. is quantum mechanics is right, but there's not a good way to distinguish between different ways of interpreting that mathematics right. because that's more <laughs> of a philosophical endeavor. So, yeah. so yeah. we have this mathematical description that's very consistent. It describes how things evolve. Yeah. And, uh, and we can impose it on any system, and they get a quantum description of that system. Okay, and this appears to be, our, our universe appears to be quantum in this way. But now we're left to interpret what this math is saying. Right. And the, the simplest interpretation of the math is that our universe is branching out in all these different possibilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when we make a measurement, we find ourselves to be wa- in making measurement in one of these possibilities. Yeah. Mm-hmm. not that this there's actually a collapse. That's right. Because quantum mechanically, what, what's happening is you're just becoming correlated. Mm-hmm. It's like you measure something, and, and the measurement comes back three. Mm-hmm. Okay. But quantum mechanically, there's another U over here making the same measurement, but they read a 2.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? And there's another one that read a 5. Right. Okay? Yeah. So at that point, when that measurement was made, so before that measurement was made, there was a, a U and, uh, and just one of you. But when you made the measurement, you have this branching. Yeah. So now there are a bunch of U's, and they no longer interact with one another. Yeah. Because you're too big.
0: So if that's happening... Are you saying that that's happening all the time in this yeah. interpretation? And it's yes. just a like super infinite explosion of yes. realities it's at a all super times. Super
1: infinite exploding tree of possibilities. Yes, constantly,
0: always yeah. with no no convergence. Like constantly divergent.
1: And and there's and there's nothing like a coral as well. Yeah, like branching coral. And there and there there's nothing other than purely random chance. Mm-hmm. Which one you this you is experiencing?
0: Okay. All
1: right. Um However. That's a pretty radical way of describing it. In, right. order, in order to describe it that way, you have to uh, admit the existence of this infinite number of other copies of you branching at yeah. yeah. every moment. Yeah, It's, it's kind of crazy. And we're used to thinking of our, our world as it being a solid, uh, persistent, continuous, evolving thing. Yeah. It's very solid. Yeah. But that's not the way quantum mechanics describes the universe. Quantum mm-hmm. mechanics describes it as this branching wave function of possibilities unfolding. Yeah. And if you believe the math, that's the way you have to think about it. It's yeah. really bizarre. What do you mm. think of, like, many-worlds
3: interpretation? Yeah, that, that is that the many-worlds so. yeah, so, interpretation. so that's how you, yeah. yeah. Well, so. so, like, someone like Max Tegmark would say in the many-worlds interpretation, there's an infinite number of himself, Max Tegmark, mm-hmm. moving through these many different worlds. Um, do you find, like, that, can we just meditate on that for a moment? What, what, what are your thoughts on... On that as the mode of reality, of existence, of being.
1: Well, if you actually wrap your head around that and try to live with that scenario actually being the one that you're yep. living in, what's that mean for your choices?
3: They're big. It means your choices are everything. Yeah. As Camus said, life is the sum of your choices.
1: It is. And what do your choices do? Your, your choices affect what can happen. Yeah. What, what, what different possibilities is going to happen to your future self? Yes. Now, there, there, there are two ways you can you can react to that. The the, the two ways are, well, if I have, uh, you know, a million different me's branching out from this decision, and according to this decision I make, if I think about what's really going to happen, um, about 40% of those me's will be unhappier and 60% will be happier, mm-hmm. okay, then I'll go ahead and make that decision because I'll, it's more likely uh, more of my me's will be happy. mm mm-hmm. mm mm-hmm. If you make that decision, that's the way you decide things now.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like the mind My- yeah. is almost like this like virtual uh, kind of simulation engine to like create a bunch of hypothetical use. And then decide yeah. which of you know probabilistically exactly uh, which right. of those you want to die off, <laughs>
1: exactly and which right. of those yeah, you actually good. want to survive <laughs> into the kind of
0: propagating. That's future. exactly right. Yeah.
1: So so if you if you if you think that way, it turns out oh that's the way I think now. I, I go by likelihood. I don't call it the probability of different me's being happy mm-hmm. according to the distribution of all the happiness and unhappiness that I'll experience in the future. I just think about it, it's like oh it increases the likelihood of me being happy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So there. So so I think Bayesian inference and. Mm-hmm. You know, Bayesian inference talking about the likelihood of outcome. Yeah, is, is different than the the frequentist description, which is how many of good and bad outcomes you'll get.
2: Mm, I yeah. think
1: I think Bayesian inference is frequentist inference with a, a quantum point of view. Yes,
3: <laughs> I actually I sometimes I consider myself a Bayesian. Is yeah. how I view my. Yeah my existential ontology
1: a a bayesian is a perfectly reasonable uh way for a a quantum frequentist to think Uh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's
0: exhausting constantly updating one's priors yeah yeah no there's the flow that's there
1: there is a a dark possibility which is um if you want to make a million dollars right you go out and pay a dollar for a lottery ticket and if you don't win you shoot yourself uh, <laughs> yeah, you mean you start casting? One, one, yeah, one, of of, one of you will have win. So the only the only living one. Oh, and you're just oh, God. the only one who ooh, will experience ooh. existence is the living one who made the million bucks. Yeah, yeah. Don't do that. Don't that yeah,
4: yeah.
1: That would seem that would seem, yeah, that would seem like
0: to run counter to yeah. more of like yeah. the uh, adaptive pragmatist or evolutionary yeah. perspective.
1: Yeah, I know. And then with with paragliding and some of the surfing I've done, there are a lot of dead me's.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe. So that that's an interesting uh, pivot, perhaps. How did you get into
1: surfing? Like, what is, mm. what is the balance? You're really into balance in your life as well. That'd be an interesting thing oh, to talk thanks. about. Um, but I think it's important um, because if you just spend your time doing nothing but working on uh, any technical problem, you're going to drive yourself nuts.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Your, your, your vision will go myopic. You'll lose your vision. Uh, you'll lose your relationships. Uh, you'll lose everything, and you'll just be obsessed on this problem, especially if it's a hard problem. And if you've chosen a hard problem, you might not be able to solve it. In fact, you're likely not to solve it. And that will just be so psychologically unhealthy for you as a human being. It will wreck your life. Mm-hmm. So if, you're, if you want to do something hard, make the rest of your life awesome. Okay? Have good relationships. Have good friendships. Do stuff outside for fun. Go play in a pretty environment. You know, have the best freaking life you can outside of this hard problem you're trying to solve. That's that's the only way to to keep from going nuts. Mm-hmm. If you just if you say, oh no, that other stuff takes up too much of my time, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. As human beings, we we need to have balance. We need to be psychologically healthy and happy, and then we can tackle hard problems that are frustrating, mm-hmm. that aren't easy. Yeah. It's like kind of. You know, it's it's tapping
0: into the potential of your being along all these many dimensions, right? Like yeah. you're, when you're surfing, you're engaging, you're, you're fully engaging your mind and you're being in your brain, but just in a completely different paradigm yeah. than when you're in the land of abstraction. Like you're very much in the land of, you know, dealing with nature's visceral reality and trying to adapt to it on very quick timescales. Yeah. Like surfing what do I do in the,
1: this the rich, immersive experience yeah. I know of on the planet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, just, yeah. it's just a fantastic, fantastic experience when, when the conditions are right. Yeah,
0: yeah, it yeah. can be amazing. Or like I started learning, and I, I think I'm still recovering a little bit from a PTSD <laughs> moment. Like, yeah, yeah. Like I was, yeah. uh, I was taken. A friend of mine took me to uh, to Fort Point. Yeah. Um, probably a little <laughs> too early for me, and yeah. I ended up like literally almost getting bashed against the rocks. And yeah. I, I haven't surfed again since. But I need to get back on that.
1: Yeah, when you're surfing, you're definitely in nature. <laughs> yeah, it's like it yeah. doesn't matter if there's like a Tesla parked next to a high tech apartment building right there, and <laughs> yeah. you know, with your, with the Whole Foods next door. <laughs> Yeah. If you paddle out 100 yards in yeah. a big surf break, yeah. <laughs> that, niche, that, that could be 100 miles away. Yeah, you're in, you're in, you know, hard, uh, no mercy, natural existence where yeah. a shark might bite you, a wave might bash you into the reef or rocks. Yeah. You know, it's mm. it's the boundary is that hard. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's still wilderness out there. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's
0: good to be reminded of that, right? Yeah. And they, we're, we're so insulated from yeah. those elements of, of our being that uh, getting back in touch with that, it helps. It helps a lot. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, and this is this is one of the reasons I, I founded the Pacific Science Institute, is I wanted to give scientists a, a beautiful environment to go out and enjoy, so that then they could come back and and tackle hard problems. Lovely, and and also it's just um, science has given so much to the world. I don't think scientists are sufficiently compensated mm-hmm. for their contributions to yep. society, um, unless they capitalize on their creations, in which sure. case they can be quite lucrative. But most of these things are so abstract and, and you know, mathematics, theoretical physics and all these pursuits are, are, are so abstract they're not likely to be easily monetized. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I really think scientists should be better supported. Yeah. Um, and of course I'm very biased being a scientist <laughs> but uh, but I, I wanted to make my own effort to to have a place in, in Maui where scientists can come and hang out and work on their stuff and really enjoy the island Yeah, and and, and sort of reward them for the, the work they're doing and also inspire them so they can go back and do it yeah that's important for more than just quality of
3: life because the actual work that's done if it's coming from a place of need and scarcity and like oh there's limited resources and you, you actually end up forcing results whereas if you're yeah. like chilling out on Maui and you're hanging out with your friends and you're like living a good life and you're just like naturally curious about the nature of the world. And yeah. it's like fun to have yeah. these conversations. I mean, yeah.
0: it's like the fundamental dynamic with the public or perish par- dynamic, right? Where it's right. like yeah. everybody kind of like reaching for as
1: many scraps as possible yeah. around yeah. the table. Yeah. We have a lot of cross motivations, even mm-hmm. in academia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I say we, even though I'm working outside of academia. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. I'm still yeah. sort of part of it, but not really. Mm-hmm. I love how you yeah.
0: framed, uh, from the, the PSI as like a science hostel.
1: Yeah, Yeah. which <laughs> yeah. is cool. Well, I mean, it came out because uh, after I got my PhD, um, a lot of my friends had been successful in tech. Yeah. But I was uh, pretty obsessed with working on theoretical physics on my own. Mm-hmm. So I just went to my rich friends and crashed in their uh, guest bedrooms, <laughs> and guest cottages. So I would stay with my friends, um, and that, w- that was great that they were able to provide that for me. Um, and when you're staying in somebody else's house, it's very low stress, mm-hmm. right? You know, there's the you know you don't have to worry about it as much you're you're not living in your to-do list the way you, if you're living in your own house yeah mm-hmm. and uh and I was able to get a lot done that way so uh 10 years later I had some resources uh, built up my my investors had done pretty well uh I had even invested in some Netflix stock which had done well yeah still doing very and, well uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I was able to buy a property in, in Maui and, and turn that into the, a science hostel, and that way I host other scientists who are coming to Amazing. Yeah. We'll and have to visit now. sometime. <laughs> yeah, come on you, you just on got out. some new
0: land for that, right? I did, yes. So I, that I got, I the, got yeah. a hold
1: of a, a, a beautiful 15-acre piece of land in Maui. Now I have to figure out how to get the money and build on it.
0: Cool.
3: Yeah.
1: Folks well, listening. The, yeah, maybe we can help that. would be fantastic. <laughs> help build the next generation science hostel. Yeah. So, so basically what I want to do is I want to double at every iteration. <clears throat> so right, <throat> right now I've got about... Uh, you know are going to uh, gray goo us. Yeah. I've, 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 got, I've got about you know, four four guest bedrooms uh, in in the current iteration of psi and wow. want to go up to around 8 or so in the next version and then you know 16 or so after that oh yeah yeah because that, that yeah. way you you really control the the steps of growth and, mm-hmm. and you know how to curate it and, and grow it in a healthy cool, way cool yeah. yeah
3: we talk about like nucleation and seeding and and it's sort huh. of like you know you want to infuse whatever you're building the the initial conditions are so important to get right
0: yeah, definitely. So, I mean, uh, one of the things you just mentioned was this notion of the difficulty of really tracking the value of these scientific contributions or, or yeah. scientists not reaping the rewards of, of what they're actually
1: Yeah, capitalism know, just isn't designed to reward scientific research. That and, way. And, right. and
0: that's interesting from the perspective of, you know, we're looking at that along a lot of other dimensions, not just science, but also, like, for example, teachers have a similar problem, right? right? Teachers encode, uh, they, they build brains. Teachers build brains and then brains build the world. Yet... Yeah all the value built by the brains the teachers created um, doesn't make its way back that back frequently to the teachers. To the teachers. Nope. And yeah. part of that's because we don't encode it. And so we're, we're sitting here in, in uh, Starfish Mission, which is, you know, this this epicenter of, of beginning to build this new blockchain oriented economy. Uh, do you think that there's do you think that there's potential there to help maybe uh, track more of the value in science? Do you see have you thought about that at all?
1: Well uh, for, for for teachers um, certainly, if if people are willing to pay for better tutoring, mm-hmm. right, that will directly compensate teachers, mm-hmm. especially the best teachers, mm-hmm. um, who are willing to put themselves out for for private tutoring. Um, I mean, when you when you when you live your life, you you make your choices not only according to how much money you're going to get, mm-hmm. like how greedy you are and how much you want to make, but also the the benefit you're going to have on other people in society. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when you decide to be a teacher, you're really deciding to be a philanthropist with your own time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you're you're choosing not to make as much money because you want to contribute to making uh, kids' lives better. And, and teaching is a really satisfying uh, position. So this, capitalistically, sort of makes sense, is, mm. is teachers are getting a lot of benefit psychologically from, from bettering kids' lives. That's yeah. very satisfying. And they're not getting paid as much. But, you know, if, if, if bettering kids' lives wasn't as much fun, you'd have to pay teachers more to do it. So capitalism does sort of work that way. Mm-hmm. Um, even though it would be nice if teachers were paid more, yeah, mm-hmm. and so so, and maybe what you want to do is um, you want to emphasize more the importance of teaching,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and that way people will be willing more willing to pay them more. That'll raise it. Um, for for virtual economies and the and Bitcoin specifically, um, I do think that's going to have a big effect on the world. Mm-hmm. Um, Bitcoin isn't anonymous; it's very non anonymous. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, the the connection who's connected to the wallets, <laughs> it, yeah. can, it can be more anonymous. Sure. Um, I, I do think that's going to, I think mm. it's going to, mm. it's had a lot of success already. Um, and I think it's going to ramp up an, a, another uh, another few times.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I'm still hodlering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm right there
0: with you. Right there with you. Um, yeah. I think it, it's interesting also when you bring up you know, the idea of capitalism, we've been thinking and talking a lot about the idea of, you know, it, it's this system. In a way, you can look at it as a, a sort of distributed computer. Uh, like a marketplace is this sort of distributed computer where each transaction is kind of like a pointillist dot in the larger map of the economy. And all, as all the transactions unfold, um, you get an emergent image of like yeah. the value yeah, landscape, of right? Yeah. And um, at least in, in, in the picture that I see, it seems like with our previous monetary systems, we were working with maybe just grayscale. Yet in this new world of adding a much more uh, rich and robust network of cryptocurrencies – we might be adding, you know, a color, uh, you know, a full color set to to that pointless calculator, and therefore perhaps extracting yeah. or maybe maybe better <laughs> mapping the types of value that we, a have, we have a rainbow of currencies now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And now, yeah. obviously, perhaps infinity is too much, but I think one is probably too few, yeah. and and maybe we'll be able to better uh, perhaps map the value of science or teaching, so that not only is it just philanthropy, but but there's also a currency there because there is a, there's already a social currency, right? Yeah. Um, but, but it's just well, not I mean, explicit. The, the,
1: the best yeah. things in, in my mind about cryptocurrency is there's, there's less drag. Yeah. So when you have a fiat currency, you know, you're, you're putting out U.S. dollars. Um, when you use those U.S. dollars or you uh, gain those U.S. dollars, there, there are a bunch of things going on. One is you're taxed on your income. So you're, you're paying a significant percentage back to government. Um, also, the government's printing the money. Mm-hmm. Okay so it's deflating the currency just by printing more of it and re- releasing more of it to the banks okay so the so the, it's it's losing value it's it's having value sucked out of it at a, at a constant and rather rapid rate okay whereas when you invest in crypto i mean you're capped at 21 million bitcoin so you're you're going to i mean there there's it's a very limited resource um the the problem with bitcoin is there's also drag which is you have to put a lot of electrical power into doing the computations to 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 propagate the just the exchange of the currency, mm-hmm. okay, um, and and people are very motivated to do that as the value of the currency increases.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so it's a it's a, it's a lot of power, and that, that that's also a drag of sorts. But it doesn't it's not drag that devalues the currency.
0: Yeah, and it also the the actual. Um it seems as if that use of energy creates a very real tie to human incentives. So you actually create a within the system uh, because it requires real spending of, of money or, or time or energy to yeah. set up these mining rigs and actually procure the energy and potentially create innovative energy solutions around that. You're creating a massive uh, alignment of many actors within a system, ah, yeah, so yeah. that now you're actually building a much stronger inertia as opposed to like a, yeah. just it's, a it's proof also, of work where you're
1: it's trying also to bootstrap securing the currency. Yeah. So, yeah. so uh, cool. you know, we, you have the U.S. military, you know, that, that backs the exchange of dollars. You have yeah. a bunch of guys with guns, right? But for Bitcoin, you don't have people with guns, but you can't take over the currency without extraordinary computational power. Yeah.
0: I wouldn't be surprised if you ran into a few guns trying to invade a Chinese mining rig.
1: Uh, yeah, well, you can, you can do it that way. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I, yeah your but point is not, well taken. That's not going to take over control of the, the whole system.
0: Certainly. You certainly. can only do
1: that if you have yeah. more than you know, 51% of the, the mining power. And yes. that's extraordinary now because so many people are mining, yeah. Yeah, which, is, which is the way you want it to be. Exactly. It's, it's, a much, uh, it's, a, it's a much better system. Um, the, the exchange of Bitcoin needs to be uh, faster. Mm-hmm. And handle larger volume, but I think that can be done with uh, with like Lightning Network or yeah. offshoots. Or, I'd be
0: interested or to get your take, like, like as a mathematician and physicist, about the structure of Tier Two Lightning. Like from yeah. from an evolutionary perspective, it seems like it makes a lot of sense to me. To have yeah, it's going to have to happen. Yeah, to have this separate yeah. this separate layer of structure uh, that can have a different topology yet mm. be connected to the the That's core right. system, so That's to speak. Right. Yeah, Yeah. it seems natural, right? It seems like the right decision. You
1: you have to have a a subsystem where exchanges happen much faster, much higher volume, and Mm -hmm. for very small fees. Yeah. 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 But then essentially, you're still trading BTC, you're just doing it uh, off the main chain. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Exactly.
1: Cool. So, um, yeah, it's weird that a physicist knows all this stuff. Isn't it? No, it's, it's, it's good. It's good. I mean, I think this is, it's perfect. We're, we're, we're having a,
0: yeah, we're having a synthesis of, of all the different factors. No, of,
1: the reason I know about this is because I'm also an investor and I've got to eat.
0: Yeah, yeah. exactly.
1: Yeah, it's how I fund the physics. Uh-huh. Yes.
0: Partially how we fund the funk, uh, how we fund the podcast right Um, so I wanted to, we'll do another pivot here. Um, Let's talk about bees. Let's talk about the beekeeping stuff. <laughs> I <know we> have, <laughs> like I really, so like we, some of the things we talk about is, you know, quite frequently a theme that comes up is, you know, collective intelligence, um, trying to understand the role of, of communication. We are called catalyzing coherence. Obviously this idea yeah. of coherence requires, um, particular forms of, of coherent communication, right? And one of the propositions that we're putting forth is that, you know, with, the accelerating world today and all of these different fragmented perspectives, you know, we're becoming in some ways less coherent as, as our own collective Mm. intelligence. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to find ways of, of helping that, helping establish flows of information and conversations across these otherwise separated parts of our, of our system. And, you know, what can we learn from these other types of collective intelligence in yeah. the world? Like, and, and, all, and also just like, what's it like being a beekeeper? What got you interested in that? Cause that's just fun to, fun to talk about too. <laughs>
1: um, well, okay. So there are a bunch of things to unpack there. Yes. Um, uh, for, for the bees themselves. I mean, one thing we can learn is from the, the ways bees communicate, you know, if a, a bee finds a nice stash of pollen, uh, it comes back and it does a little dance.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. The it, waggle it, dance.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's like a little infinity sig- yeah. symbol with the center of the infinity pointing towards the food source. Mm-hmm. And, and, and with, you know, how far it is. And it, and it communicates that to the bees around it in the hive.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, so that, that sort of uh, individual communi- communication among the members that then, you know, spreads throughout the hive, that, that's very useful.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, Do they replicate the waggle as one does it? And uh, is that how it propagates?
0: Know. Or is it like a vibrational propagation no i i
1: think they all i, I think the, the i think the bees come and and uh actually physically touch the bee that's doing the dance and get the ah. information from that and then they fly off and go okay over. i don't think it propagates throughout that okay but I, I don't know i don't know yeah, yeah. Bee communication no <laughs> i haven't i haven't taken my hive apart and look <laughs> excuse me ladies what are, you, uh, what are you actually doing in there <laughs> no I, I mostly try to leave them alone they like their privacy yeah they're, yeah. they're not crazy when i steal their honey either <laughs> um they, uh, but uh, but for humans, actually what we have now is we have more interpersonal connectivity. Mm-hmm. So it, it used to be – humans used to be more like bees. Mm-hmm. It used to be more that we'd only interact with the humans that were next to us.
0: Yeah, yeah. You'd have to see right. the waggle dance.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And now our dance is getting broadcast yeah. to the whole rest of the hive. Exactly. All right.
0: Yeah. I've been so, thinking about this like uh, – if you look at evolutionary structures um, like us or any other yeah. animal like we're this delicate balance of multiple layers of complexity and a lot of animals had to die to figure out what yeah. that balance was like yeah. and what would happen if you connected all of the neurons together at once like yeah. you'd have a seizure and then right. die
4: it's <laughs> yeah. like
0: the internet was kind of like
1: that yeah. for humanity <laughs> yeah so, in so, a way. so so that's a great <laughs> analogy so it's it's i mean if you, if if you if you talk to people like 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 John Lanier they'll tell you that's like yeah with this incredible complex interconnection of now all beings. Yeah. We're getting flooded with so, so many information, so much information that we can't process it. We're no longer productively interacting. Our productivity is going to go to zero. Our psychological health is going to go to zero. And us as a society are having a seizure and dying. And economic actors have learned how to exploit it
0: (laughs) as well. Right. To actually like look at our behavioral psychology, look at the way that we are potentially vulnerable to this overwhelm of signals and, and then use that to further polarize or further drive us apart
1: such that we are giving our, t- our attention at the cost of our sanity. Well, that's, that's the worst part of capitalism. The best part. I mean, capitalism is like, um, yeah, you give people what they want yeah. and you get money. benefit yeah. from it. It's like, oh, that, yeah. this is great. Sign yeah. me up. The distributed like, computer
0: wait, part is pretty cool. Wait,
1: but people yeah. are working on the wrong side. Yeah. People aren't yeah. working on giving you what you want. People are working on manipulating you and changing what you want. So you want their shit.
3: Right. Yeah. 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 That's like,
1: the bad part of capitalism. It's where the where it's not
3: aligned. Yeah. This principal-agent yeah. problem.
1: Yeah, you can win at capitalism doing either of those approaches, and often the the evil one is easier. Yeah, yeah. To some more money. Yeah, it's far easier, <laughs>
3: which is largely stems from this sense. And I mean, this is to actually challenge capitalism or the model in the sense of like everyone's coming to the marketplace right now, competing over what is perceived as limited resources and goods. Right. This model was built at a time when not everyone had access to what we have today. And so when we think about a new model, we can think about what does that look like in a world of a potential abundance. Um, and that's what's interesting to us when we think about new forms of capitalism or economic yeah. systems, how they can be so coherent that everyone enters this new space of interaction to the benefit of everyone or yeah. in the the
1: spirit of I am here to be an active participant of this network.
0: Yeah, like maximizing the positive, sum interactions right. in the world.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's going to be a, a gradual transition in our society, and we're seeing this happen now. Mm-hmm. I mean, what's happening is automation is taking over much of human productivity. So, so, so things are becoming less expensive and more abundant. Mm-hmm. At the same time, people are losing their jobs. It's harder to find you know productive work. Mm-hmm. Um, the healthiest way to deal with this is to have a like more distribution of wealth equally, and you know, some sort of something like universal basic income. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm saying this even though I'm mostly a libertarian, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, because I want the world around me to be better. Mm-hmm. I don't want people starving on the streets around mm-hmm, me. Mm-hmm. So I, I want this minimum level of support for yes. everybody around me, so it's yes. a better environment, just for my own selfish reasons. <laughs> sure, <laughs> I feel the same way. And I then, want- but the at, the at the same time. Um, what people will find is if people can't find productive, rewarding work, Mm -hmm. what do you do in life? Right. Well, I've tried to spearhead that, by you go surf, you go build cool projects, you you, Uh you run a nice nonprofit, and you try to benefit humanity as best you can, even if you're not doing it for money.
3: Yeah. The goal should be to teach people how to fish, right? Like this UBI, whatever the system looks like, it's a means through which people can learn how to fish, how they can live their lives in such a way they can rejoin the economy when they're ready.
1: Yeah. But you don't even have to do anything as productive as fishing. Yeah, you want to you want to find satisfaction in something that benefits you, your health wise, and hopefully benefits others yes, too. Yes, yes. Um, even though it's the robots doing all the work, making the money, and right. and, and putting stuff on. Kitchen. I mean,
3: that is that is something that we're yeah.
1: considering now. Is like now we
3: have all these you know automated op- opportunities for the system. And now we're sort of
1: getting out onto the frontiers of yeah. economic theory. But the, you know. the the other the other direction is um, the way I ended up getting into farming. Yeah, is I kept improving my quality of life right Mm -hmm. and it's like uh oh great i can you know i have enough resources i can go buy money now Mm -hmm. or go sorry go buy groceries now and Mm -hmm. and 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 that's great but you know no matter what your grocery store is you can't get an egg that's as good as it is when it's still warm from coming out of the chicken
0: yeah
1: right so now i've got a bunch of chickens in my backyard i've got i've got bees which produce you know honey when i want it it's it's great um, I've got a, 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 some permaculture gardening going on nice. my life with, yeah. with, with garden beds and, and things setting up and propagating. I've got a, a bunch of avocado trees with avocados Epic. hanging out of them. <laughs> and, and, it's, and that purely comes from, I mean, I'm not selling these things. It's not capitalist. Right. It's just improving quality of life. Yeah, oh, definitely. And it turns out that, uh, you know, working the dirt is a good way of improving your own quality of life. Yeah, mm-hmm. if, you, if you've got a, a, a nice... A permaculture food forest going, and and yeah. you're maintaining it, and you're doing the work. Yeah. It's very satisfying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's satisfying in a similar way that teaching kids is exactly.
0: Yeah, so yeah, there's, there's like yeah. that high level satisfaction when you see the the long term fruits of the labor, or actually literally eating the fruit. Yeah. <laughs> um, or but there's, there's also that that element of of deep just visceral satisfaction that yeah. is so absent. Uh, with most of our highly abstract work in the 21st century of just actually like being in the dirt or or doing something with a living organism. Yeah.
1: Yeah, You want, you want, you want the automation to free you up to embrace your humanity and, and, and spend your time doing things that bring you the greatest satisfaction satisfaction and enjoyment. Right. And, and you don't want to be depressed that you don't have a, a job that's earning you a lot of money and, and, producing a lot of stuff you, you want to spend your time doing stuff that enriches your life either more directly or even in helping others mm-hmm. and uh, and that's the sort of society we want to transition into yes and, right. and i i i was lucky enough to do all my investments that i tried to transition to that early on mm-hmm. and you know i spent a lot of my time surfing and kiting and playing very yeah. it's just freaking fantastic and I'm, I'm and i have a very high life satisfaction and i am I'm, I'm never freaking Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I, and I'm one of I mean, among my smart friends, I'm considered the freak because <laughs> I'm smart, but I'm I'm happy.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because you're not spending like all the time in a little box. Yeah. I just yeah. like working the models and yeah. kind of going through this, going through the steps. It was the funniest yeah. thing.
1: I mean, I, I, I delivered a, a virtual talk to to an audience in Moscow. <laughs> cool. and, 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 they're known and, and for they, their like avocados they, right <laughs> <laughs> And, they, and they, 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 they astutely listened to my talk and it was a physics talk and, yeah. and it, was, it was to a fairly technical audience and there was some discussion among the audience in Russian after the talk and they talked to the translator and the, the translator had been tra- translating my talk to them and there, there, there was one question that came back and it had a very large amount of audience, in, uh, audience interest and the translator gave it to me and the question was why are you so happy? <laughs> <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah. funny. That's, that's
0: also kind of in their culture yeah. as well, right? Yeah. Where they have this very yeah. uh, and, and, like and, also and also it's in the culture
1: that if you're, if yeah. you're a very bright, intelligent, working, uh, intelligent person, you're a very hardworking person. Yeah, yeah. you're very and, serious, and, yeah, and you're professional professional. serious. Yeah, and mm-hmm. you're extremely serious. And you're not a huge, happy goofball. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a much better yeah. way to go through These yeah. things are not mutually exclusive, yeah. as no. it turns yeah. out. <laughs> yeah, it turns out. Which is good that we're breaking some
0: of those molds. Yeah, no, like. it turns yeah. out happy isn't dumb. Definitely, mm. definitely. Yeah. So let's uh, let's dig into another interesting topic here. So psychedelics are something that we have talked a bit about with another one of our guests, uh, Andres Gomez Emilson, is a, is a researcher who uh, talks a lot about the uh, the geometry of psychedelic experiences is one of his interests and. Given that you have this, you know, you've been working a lot on on geometric theories of physics, Mm -hmm. um, I'd be interested in in getting your take on something. So, I noticed when I was watching one of Clearwin's videos that he talked about his theory of curvature being a function of projecting higher dimensional shapes um, into these lower dimensions. And and there's an interference that happens there. And then this kind of gives rise to this type of curvature in his, his mind, which seemed quite similar to something Andreas was talking about in terms of. Um, when one takes DMT, uh, there's this element of um, kind of perceptual dilation, so to speak. So you're getting more frames basically um, kind of shoved into the moment of consciousness. So you know, and, and in his mind, that blows out the geometry into something more hyperbolic in, in our subjective experience. Um, so I'm just I'm curious what you think about a like those models of that idea or, or generally also the the kind of. Uh, the idea of psychedelics as something perhaps either changing our subjective experience of reality or allowing us to see some of these other uh, deeper symmetries or geometries in the world. Like, where where are you at on that?
1: Well, it's been, I mean, using psychedelics has been very useful to, to artists throughout history. Mm-hmm. And um, it's certainly a way of uh, heightening and sort of scrambling your connections to perceived reality mm. and sort of, in a way, uh, sort of opening up your consciousness to to new and different experiences and new and different ways of looking at things. Um, personally, uh, I've never done them. Mm-hmm. So, so personally, uh, I use my brain as a as a very fine tool and I, I really enjoy my connection to reality mm-hmm. and I don't want to mess with it and mm-hmm. I don't want to do anything that puts it at risk of being messed with. Um, so I, I like having a very clear and, and firm grip on, on reality and the, uh, I, I guess I'm a, a, a mental control freak that way. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't want to give up control of my own consciousness to some drug that's gonna put it into some weird tailspin, even if it opens up new horizons to me. Um, because I, am, I, I like being a, a pretty creative individual, um, so it's, it's kind of tempting to like mess with, mess, mess with acid or something that's gonna open up and mm-hmm. provide you more creative influence. However, working with mathematics demands an extraordinary level of rigor
2: mm-hmm.
1: and you don't want to take some acid trip that's going to make you think that negative signs are plus signs uh, that that have stopped rotating for the rest of your life <laughs> 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 you know you really want to, you really want to maintain the ability to do mathematics and, and sure. do higher uh, logical functions so for that reason, I haven 't messed with this stuff myself um, uh, also on the geometric side uh certainly. When you put that sort of, uh, when you put some chemicals into your brain that scrambles things and puts together new connections, um, you're going to have all sorts of new and wild perceptions about the world. Mm-hmm. And 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 I've got I can show you in my inbox how many emails I have about people who have seen geometric figures while they're on acid mm-hmm. and like uh, wild geometric mandalas that, uh, that and it seems pretty pervasive. Yeah. Right. Um, But uh, I'm such a staunch uh, scientist that I think these things are are probably just mental side effects of scrambling your neurons up. Why not
3: actually access to a deeper archetypal structure of reality?
1: Um, Because we don't access high energy particle physics with our brains. We access that level of energy with particle accelerators.
3: But isn't our neurons or other cells still operating through the same underlying framework?
1: Nope. Nope. There, um, where's that there, there, line the, that line is there are not uh, strange quarks and top quarks and tau particles none of those are being produced in your brain so, none of you. so
0: yeah. from the perspective of if if we are like going all the way back to the beginning of the conversation if we are in this settled lower energy residual state so to speak um and everything that we are at the tip of the evolutionary process is a downstream function of that process. Um, Is there any way, I mean, I know in in some of those videos in the QGR videos that they've created, they have this notion of um, these quasi crystals and then projecting to lower dimensions. Mm -hmm. Yet the higher dimensional information is, is recoverable as they put it. Right. And so it like, maybe there would be an idea of connecting these dots where it's like, is there a fingerprint in our evolutionary right. nature or that, our psychology yeah. of that? And yeah. that might be something that when we, when we have a psychedelic experience, it changes perceptions to, to perceive that fingerprint right. as are, opposed to the external winter. It world?
1: might be putting you in touch with aspects of reality that you were not previously aware of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But those aspects of reality are going to be in the complexity of experience on this energy level, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 I see that. Okay, so so when when you're interacting as human beings, yeah. otherwise
0: it probably would be very good for your brain.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, know. you really don't want to bombard yeah, your brain with like high energy particles. Cosmic you rays really are don't bad enough. Do that. Um, you, uh, whether whatever our human experiences are, even and and when we take psychedelic substances, um, as, as far as I know, from what I understand, having never done it, the. Uh, the effects are to, to sort of heighten your awareness and put you more in beginner mind mm-hmm. uh, of, of, of experiencing reality around you mm-hmm. w- where it doesn't go through the same trained neural net that's been through a hundred mm-hmm. times and, mm-hmm. and which is able to predict everything that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's hitting sort of more uh, exposed consciousness. Okay? Mm. Um, however, um, this does not provide you like vision into another deeper realm. It just provides you a a different view of what your senses are giving you currently.
0: Yeah. Like you might be like orbiting a a different attractor of consciousness. Yeah.
1: So, so it does affect your consciousness, but you're, but you're seeing the same photons and you're interacting with the same, you know, up and down quarks and electrons. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty much it.
0: Yeah. What about this interpretation? Um, If you look at evolution as an accumulation in many ways of uh, like a perceptual, like adding more and more layers of filtering to like whatever the raw potential of perception would be. So that would make us like many layers deep in terms of this like stack of filters. Mm -hmm. I kind of look at it like evolution has put us on top of a high wire with a gyroscope, but we don't know the gyroscopes there because it, you know, yeah. goes goes very deep in our history.
1: Yeah. We we have, the, I mean, our, our whole our whole metabolic system yeah. seems to exist to support our consciousness. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then so is, so then you amazing. Take,
0: perhaps you take the psychedelics and it, and it kind of blows away. Like you realize you're back on that highway. You're like
1: actually yeah. like oh shit like yeah you know <laughs> that that sounds like a bad trip. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah but it's uh yeah so uh, I mean our consciousness exists on this extraordinarily uh, wonderful and inter- self interacting physical substrate mm-hmm. of our of our brains mm-hmm. with, with all interacting neurons and stuff and our, and our consciousness exists as the functioning of that brain
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, but it seems it, it feels to us like it exists independently
2: mm
1: but if you do anything to mess with that substrate, it has a direct effect on, the, on consciousness.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay? And, and to some degree, consciousness can affect you know, the operation of our, of our brain and also, our, of course, our bodies. Yeah. But that's not through any mystical way. It's just through our normal you know, physical channels. But, but you can't have access to other realms of existence just through consciousness. And, and you don't have... Uh, you, there's, there's nothing you can do to manipulate matter on a higher energy level uh, other than the energy level we have access to without big machines. Yeah. Okay? So, so as human beings, we're going to communicate by, by, by talking. We're going to communicate by vision, by seeing things, uh, by touch, matter. But we're not going to communicate through some other mystical method that connects us all on some astral plane.
3: What about telepathy?
1: Yeah, it's just it doesn't work.
3: Telepathy can't yeah. work.
1: No, there's, there's no channel for it. And if there was, scientists would have found it.
3: Well, isn't there a non-locality to all the particles of the universe?
1: There's there under one interpretation of quantum mechanics. There's a, a non non-local uh, activity which is collapse of the wave function, mm-hmm. which is you have this spreading out of all different possibilities, right. and you uh, but you only experience one.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, under the under the the collapse interpretation of quantum mechanics, um. What happens is that whole wave function that's spread out over a huge distance collapses to just one place, and that's very non-local, okay? But under the many worlds interpretation of quantum mechanics, that's not what happens. What happens is there are many of yous that have branched out and are experiencing each of the others too, and there is no collapse, ever. Ever? Yeah. Well, It's just a infinite yeah. spreading out.
0: So the inference mm. spreading out precludes the ability of non-locality to meaningful. Yeah, you don't need to non-locality. To meaningful every,
1: every, every interaction that happens is a local interaction. Mm. Okay? So yeah. if you're, if you're um, right. interacting, yeah. something, whether it be light or sound or, or, or touch or you know, uh, wind, has to travel from one place to the other yeah. and right. interact locally here, then propagate and interact over there.
0: Does that, inter- does that um, interpretation also preclude the relevance of any quantum effects within the brain giving rise to consciousness?:
1: Well, um, in your mind I used to strictly strictly think that it did. Um, uh, however, because what happens is to maintain quantum coherence, mm-hmm. right, you have to have an entanglement between two very small objects, mm-hmm. and if too many other things bang on those objects, like collide with them then uh, those objects will be correlated with the others. Mm-hmm. And once they're correlated, they don't interfere. You have to have a, a, a coherent dance for yep. these two to, to, to interfere with one another and to affect one another.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and once you're correlated with too many other things through interactions, uh, they no longer interfere. They no longer affect one another. This is called decoherence. Mm-hmm. Um, now, in the brain, it's, it's pretty warm and wet in there. And gooey. So, any anything <laughs> that's going on that's that's in a quantum state, something else, you know, slithers by it and bangs into it and warms it up, and it, it immediately decoheres. So there's 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 nothing nothing in the brain that's uh, where you can maintain quantum states and, and do quantum computations. Except, it's not incredibly implausible that if you have interactions between nuclear spins within within molecules. Um, that you could, you could set up a, uh, some quantum interactions, uh, between nuclear spins, um, because the, they're protected by their electron clouds. And even if things are banging into them, they're, they're banging into the electrons and they don't affect the nuclei, which are isolated. So it's, it, it's not, it's not absolutely impossible that there's some quantum phenomenon in the brain, but it seems extremely unlikely because it's too warm and wet, mm-hmm. a, unless there, unless there's something really tricky going on. Hmm. Um, Uh, And also,
3: wet. Not to interrupt you, but like so, when we're trying to build quantum computers, they're often building it in very cold environments. Cold and dry. Yeah,
1: yeah. And they're working on
0: raising that temperature, right, or establishing you know higher amounts of quantum coherence at higher temperatures and doing error correction. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. So there's all sorts of tricks to try to get quantum uh, computers bigger and and more functional. Mm -hmm. Um, I really hope that the brain is not doing quantum computations. Um, and I hope that the brain is doing just exchange along axions and, and dendrites for, for neurons, and, and the thoughts and our consciousness are embedded in that
0: for replication purposes.
1: Exactly. Okay. Because I, I, uh-huh. I I'd love to live long enough to get uh, to get scanned, and have that scan of my neural connections actually capture me. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So
3: what what is your how do you view consciousness?
1: In, in- um, I view consciousness as as the uh, you know, it's sort of the the verb that describes what brains do.
3: But so, wh- where's your line, and what is a brain like? Is you know, is, yeah. is it it's like turtles all the way down? Maybe you've heard. Yeah, that
1: you? a brain comes from you know many emergent layers of interacting things. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, a brain is, is billions and billions of, of neurons interconnected with a with a high degree of interconnectivity between the neurons, mm-hmm. and that interconnectivity is uh, changes and is trained by interaction with the environment mm-hmm. through our senses. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the, the functioning of that brain allows us as conscious beings to perceive things, and and that perception happens as an action of our, our firings between neurons in our brain.
2: Yeah,
1: and and we can we can track that down. Those, those neurons are, are are cells with their own behaviors between yeah. neuro, between neighbors, and, and, and this behavior and this emergence of consciousness and the ability to to model reality has has evolved over over billions of years. And uh, and produced an amazing experience of consciousness as it is. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty fantastic and, and kind of bizarre, but we it's 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 very it's, bizarre and it's got it in <laughs> such a way bizarre. that, I mean, it, it feels like there's a hard split between our conscious awareness and the, and the behavior of the physical substrate, the behavior of our minds and our uh, of our brains and our bodies. But there isn't. If you if you do something to mess with your body, it'll totally change your thoughts. Yeah, the symmetry is there.
0: Yeah. So, I, okay, back to the scanning. I want to dig into that a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, that, um, that was kind
1: of weird. We met at
0: Ephemeral. Yeah. So, you know, I, uh, the, it doesn't entirely surprise me. Mm-hmm. I, I also spent a, a great deal of time thinking about these types of things um, earlier in my life as well. And tell me what you think about this. Because the only type of, I guess, uploading procedure that I could ever um, feel comfortable with in terms of feeling as if I hadn't died. Mm-hmm. Um, was kind of like the the ship of theseus process mm-hmm. right which yeah, is yeah. so like the ship of theseus for anyone who's not familiar is you know there's a ship uh and the ship is dissembling itself and the pieces are floating back to another ship which is reassembling the same ship. is it the same ship as a different ship right and it's like assuming we had the resolution problem solved and assuming we knew that you know the fidelity was not lost um that process of Being able to simultaneously shut down incrementally parts of my own mind as I was being leveled up, so to speak, in the actual virtual (laughs) machine and there was that continuity of my perceptual reality maintained like while I was awake. And I, I can't necessarily prove that, but it's just like, that seems yeah. like what I would feel comfortable with and like actually feel like I would yeah. wake up as, or I'd be me, because I wasn't even waking up as me. I'd just... Yeah,
1: but you'd, you'd wake up and you'd look down and there's your disassembled version. Yeah, yeah. The old, the old, meat, the old meat package, right? Uh, that's a little unsettling, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, no, quite, quite, sure. <laughs> but, you, but you never... Uh, so it, it is, it, is, it kind of squicks me out the idea of, uh, you know, destructively copying yourself. Yeah. Of, of, you know, you make a copy and that copy involves destroying the original. Yeah. But the copy thinks it's you. Yeah. Right. But, you know, that copy is not a zombie. It is you. It's yeah. just another copy. And it's the reason it's so freaking weird is we're not used to making copies of ourselves. Yeah.
0: But you don't care about you wouldn't care about the continuity element.
1: No, I care. It, it makes me feel weird. But rationally, when I think about it. Yeah. It has to work
0: what has there's, to work exactly? there's,
1: there's, there's nothing I mean if you make a, if you destroy one version of yourself yeah and, and you make you know three different copies and maybe one of those isn't viable so it gets shot in the head mm-hmm. but, but the other two are good yeah now there are two U's.
0: but even with the the many worlds interpretation of that infinitely uh, bifurcating fractal mm-hmm. there's a continuity between you know the infinitely expanding paths right it's not as if it's discontinuous
1: well, well Matt have you ever put, been put under general anesthesia
0: Yes, and this is why I say I can't yeah. logically prove because, like, even when yeah. I go to bed, right, technically my consciousness is, is well, out. Well, you're still or, sort of dreaming, you know, your yeah, you're yeah. still
1: doing stuff. But when you're, when you're under global anesthetic, you're out. Your consciousness yeah, is gone. Yeah.
0: And it was very strange waking up yeah, from global anesthetic. Yeah, and you wake
1: up aesthetic. and it's like, whoa, I'm, I'm, I've jumped forward in time.
0: Yeah, yeah. It
1: would be like that. Hmm. There's, yeah. There's the, we're not uh, a... It would be like that for the thing con- that wakes up. Continuity <laughs> of consciousness
0: is not necessary. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's certainly not necessarily for the thing that wakes up to believe
1: it's yeah. you. Yeah, and, and you're, I, I think you're the same person who went under.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, and this is why I say like, I get the rational arguments yeah. for it, for the fact that yeah. like it, that destructive copying is fine, and, and you can't logically yeah. prove there's a difference yeah. um, from the perspective of what wakes up. <laughs> Emotionally. But from the perspective of me going into the process, yeah. I would much <laughs> rather have the continuity if possible. That, that's,
1: because, <laughs> that's because the you going into the process is going to die.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> And emotionally, that's uh, not comfortable to deal with.
0: But the continuity at least provides the illusion of, of a non-death, perhaps. Yeah.
1: But the thing about death is that that's, um, I don't want to say comforting, but you never experience being dead. Sure. So it's not like I'm dead. I'm in a black room now. I'm just experiencing being in a black room. No, you're not experiencing anything. You're dead. You, you have no more perceptions. You have no perception of the passage of time. You have no perception of anything. You no longer exist when you're dead. So I try to, you know, convince myself that for that reason, death is not a thing to fear to an extraordinary degree, right? Mm-hmm. Because you're you're not going to experience it. it it's, you're going to be gone, uh, but you're not going to experience being dead. So it's not horrific, right?
0: But, it's a shortening of life. Yeah,
1: I, I do feel a deep sadness at not being able to experience the future.
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah. That, that bums me out. You should look at reincarnation. It's another option.
1: Um, I, I love the idea, but there's, <laughs> there, there's no viable physical pathway not for it. Yeah. it. It's not falsifiable. Yeah. It's not falsifiable. There's nothing to support it that exists.
3: Yeah. It's one of those big paradoxes. You could never fully know. Or could um, we? Or could spirits come to us? Um, by us. what
1: channel? So the thing is, we know. I mean, we 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 know how physics works between uh, the interaction of subatomic particles all the way up to black holes.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We don't know what happens with subatomic black holes, right? But you know, yeah. <laughs> the, well, and this is this goes back to like physics. We don't yeah, know.
0: This goes back to like the hardcore plateness in you, yeah. right? Because you're like you really. It seems like you know you're definitely on the side of. We are discovering abstractions or things that exist out there as opposed to the models we have are an incrementally refined set of symmetries being laid atop something that is more unknown.
1: Yeah, I think I think mathematics has that sort of ideal independent existence. Mm -hmm. And our universe is a physical manifestation of it. It's mathematics come to life. Mm and, uh, and we have, through, through science and, and physics specifically, we've come to understand to a very high degree of precision what all those allowed interactions are and how to model them, and we've been really successful. And to some people that, that like, sucks a lot of the mystery out of life, it's like, you know, religion, uh, gods, well, uh, not, so supernatural What if it doesn't qualities? suck
3: out the mystery as much as it doesn't include what can be felt right. as this inherent mystery that you can discern the more you yeah. look at it? In the same way that scientists, they discern, they discern more of the patterns in nature by looking at it, that the yeah. spiritualist is just doing that in their own sort of lens, their right. own reality but, And, and, the, and
1: the spiritualists often find, you know, the scientific point of view discouraging. Not necessarily. Oh, good. Um, if, I, I consider science to be wonderfully rich, indeed, and, and, and it, it's just full of wonderful things that aren't known. Yeah, and 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 tools for exploring those things. Yeah, and it's yeah. it's it's fantastic, and it, and it also provides a very rich description of reality. It, it, it allows for incredibly complex human rea- human interactions and, and and how to describe them and and, and deal with them, um, but it does say yeah no certain things just don't happen like the, you don't have esp you don't have telepathy you don't you don't have the influence of gods in our reality you don't you don't have all these things it doesn't make physical sense it's not consistent with the laws of physics it can't happen well they say god is in the
3: gaps and there's certainly some gaps
1: no where are the gaps man
3: what with the the the, all the particles that we don't even – the dark energy, dark matter, all these things that like we don't have a
1: full sense of yet. But it's not this hand of some big bearded guy in a cloud coming down and making galaxies spin well, faster. Well, of course not. And it's going it's to be some other few massive particles that will um, fit into the paradigm just fine. So I think one, one, one
0: interesting <laughs> way of bridging that conversation is thinking about um, you know, science is in many ways – uh, a tool for describing the objective, the shared experience, right? The, yeah. the, the things that we can understand and measure using a particular set of tools, but either we have not yet developed scientific tools um, or science might just not be the right tool for approaching the, the subjective.
1: Yeah, that we don't have the right detectors yet.
0: Yeah, like what what is, <laughs> what is the science of the subjective, right? Yeah. Because it's like, well, you know, as soon as we start applying statistics, right, like there's this idea of um, you can have hundred marbles the average weight eight point five grams and no marble eight point five grams, yeah. and in a way, therefore the, the you know, the most real aspect of reality is its deviation from that abstraction of of eight point five grams not not the abstraction
1: there there are levels of reality yeah underlying ours yeah that we we don 't have access to yet yeah well, below and above, right, yeah, but the thing is um, uh, to to access things, you just you just need better detectors acting on those levels, and, and and those things that act on those levels, they don't interact with our level.
3: So one thing I'll say is maybe consciousness is one such detector, and that something like ayahuasca is a tool for consciousness to perceive things in the same way that a microscope is.
1: Um, I think it's a different thing. I think it's just scrambling a bunch of neurons in, biochem- in, in internal biochemistry.
3: Okay. The other question I had for you was um, I'd love for you to touch on Gödel's incompleteness theorem. Ah, sure. And how that relates because you know, math being this underlying code for all of the cosmos, what is, what is the I, incompleteness I, I... theorem? How does it speak to your, ma- your map of the
1: world? Well, I'd, I'd love to demonstrate Gödelian incompleteness, but I can't address it because if I do, this would be a completed discussion. <laughs> so I'm forbidden from addressing it. <laughs> it's like the Dow can be named as not the real Dow. Yeah, so so, so oh. Gadelian Incompleteness is, is is based on self-reference. Yeah. Yes. And the paradox is inherent in self-reference. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the, the specific self-reference in Gadelian Incompleteness is that if you have a sufficiently complicated mathematical system, and it doesn't have to be that complicated. You have, mm-hmm. you know, like the system of multiplication and addition mm-hmm. and, and, and referencing these operations. Yep. Um, that you, there will be things within that system that are true, right? So the, the, they'll always be seen to be true, yeah. And whenever you test them, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but they're not provably true within yep. the system.
2: Mm-hmm. So it's a pop out of the system. Yeah. So for
1: yeah. mathematical proof, you can you can you, if you have if you set up a system of algebra, you can prove two plus two is four. Yeah. Right. That's provably true. Um, you can prove all sorts of things, and you can keep going with the proofs to higher and higher levels of abstraction. Mm-hmm. But according to Goodellian Incompleteness, which is pretty wild, there will be things that are true, but you cannot prove them to be true. Mm-hmm. Okay? And this is, this is often put forward as a reason why we can't fully understand the universe. But the thing is, is I'm, I'm a physicist. It, all I care about is what's true. Mm-hmm. I don't actually care what's provably true. I don't care what you can prove. I care what's actually true.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's not, it, it doesn't bother me that much. If I can find a true description of our universe using using mathematics, that's good enough for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, well, it, how do you, how, do you dis-
0: how would you discern that then? How how would you identify something as you, you true test but not prove it. It. so empirically but not yeah. mathematically? You see that you see that it matches yeah. up
1: to all experimental yeah. tests,
0: which is what then is kind of like a um, it's an indicator that one needs to kind of create a meta system to encapsulate the potential for proof for that new observation.
1: Well, no, there, there will be some things that, within your system that you, you cannot prove, even if they're true. Yeah. But, but I, I don't really care. <laughs> yeah. okay. I, I don't care about proofs that much. I like that they exist for a lot of things. Yeah. But, uh, but no, this is why I'm not a mathematician. Are you familiar with Buckminster Fuller's work? Sure. Much? Yeah, he's
3: it's great. Kind of similar in, in ways, I feel like.
1: Huh. Interesting to explore. Oh. We're, we're doing some work. Even, even weirder guy than me yeah (laughs) he was Uh,
0: certainly eccentric yeah
1: yeah he he designed a really terrible car (laughs) 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 the dymaxing car car is really bad
0: (laughs) i mean he had a voluminous voluminous body of work so you know not (laughs) all not all of it necessarily ages um uh, he was experimenting with some experimenting with some interesting design ideas and principles for sure um no
1: i've built some i've built some terrible stuff too yeah Yeah.
0: (laughs) that's how we build good things eventually right oh
1: yeah 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 Yeah.
0: (laughs) Cool. All right. Well, I think it's coming up uh, on about that time. I think you have right. some places to be. Um, thank you so much again, Garrett, for coming on the show. We really loved having you. Um, I know I have a lot to think about after this conversation. <laughs> well, um, I
1: hope you won't do it under the influence of acid. So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 not this time. Right. Um, <laughs> Although a lot of
1: people think that helps. I, I'm just not convinced. <laughs> fair enough.
0: Fair enough. Um, if if you had the deal placed before you the uh if, if if you had the um the deal with the devil where if you had a tab of acid and you were guaranteed to solve the e a league group Issues, with the grand unified theory. <laughs> if I actually, if I actually was guaranteed to actually
1: know what the pres- precisely what the underlying geometry of our universe uh, was, yeah. yeah, yeah, I'd do it. Well,
3: yeah. the yeah. DNA yeah. helix, right?
1: They were
2: uh, part of that. There's been some help right. in those regards. This is not an excuse for my friends to try to dose me without my knowledge. <laughs> And then take credit. Yeah. I, I I
1: I think I'm much more likely to to make progress on it with without the without well, the drugs. We salute cool. you in those endeavors. And somebody's got to be yeah. the control in this experiment for yeah. sure. Yeah, totally.
0: And we wish you <laughs> we wish you the best of luck yeah. in, in both the physics right. and the control group. Yeah, yeah. Matt, yeah. Brian, yeah. It's, it's been great talking with you. you too, yeah. Thank you.
2: Yeah, thanks, Gary. All right.